Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, find with me Matthew, the 12th chapter. Amen. Thank you, Taylor, Monty, and the whole band. Amen. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, the sermon's title tonight is, I believe, adequately addressed to the church. I believe that uh, we've seen it in our nation for far too long. But I believe the greater indictment on this statement is on the church. And the title is, Wake Up before it is too late. And I firmly believe that as Christians, we have allowed our sense of urgency, our sense of desire to grow cold. I believe we have grown comfortable, and I am tonight speaking to our church. So I'm not speaking to the Methodist or the Presbyterian or anyone else because I think that it's applicable to them too. But tonight I will... Preach to the congregation that God has given me the privilege to under-shepherd. But I believe we have grown complacent in our desire to see what God is doing. You say, but Jake, we are doing so much better than other churches. My job is not to get us to look at what other churches are doing. Our job is to look to what the Word of God says, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and a desire to do what God has asked us to do. And uh, I read one time that if you were to go to a Google staff meeting, or you were to go to a Microsoft staff meeting, they would spend all of their time talking about what Amazon does. But if you went to an Amazon board meeting, they are talking about one thing and one thing only. How can they do a better job today than they did yesterday. And I firmly believe that as long as our church is the biggest one in town, or we take up more money than other people do, or if we see more baptisms than other people do, it is easy for us to think in a state of a thousand Baptist churches, we are the 15th largest in one of the smallest counties and smaller towns in the state. What do we have to press on for? But I am telling you today that there are lost people all around us. My time that I go in and substitute teach, I don't do it for the money. I do it for one reason, to get to know the students. And I can tell you they are overwhelmingly in need of the love of Jesus Christ. And you could ask our students here that go to school about the Christian witness in our schools and the problems that they're facing and uh, I was talking to Lucas and Katie while our kids were destroying the sound equipment, apparently. And uh, I was talking about the fact that I remember in high school, I think when I was in high school, it was rumored that there was one person, maybe, that was willing to admit in a school of 400 people that I remember that might have been, that possibly was, that could have been, a homosexual. But the idea of someone thinking that they were the wrong gender had never even crossed my mind. But yet now it is an overwhelming tsunami that is overwhelming our kids. You say, Jake, what does that mean? I have seen the amount of homes that are destroyed by unbiblical divorce. 
and the damage that does to kids and to kids trying to find love and accept it. And you say, preacher, don't mention the DDD word. Well, it's either that or you can get over it. I don't know what to tell you. But I'm telling you, we have to wake up and realize that things are not all sunshine and rainbow for the community that we serve. And I would like to speak even more specifically tonight that it isn't all sunshine and rainbows for the people that call 10 Mile home. And so tonight I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you that when Jesus gives these words tonight and He was speaking to a group of religious people who thought they had everything they needed, who thought they had arrived spiritually, who thought they were the expert on everything. And friends, in humility, we can do anything I believe that God has asked us to do. I believe when we stay humble and trust His provision and His power and His purpose, the limits to what God can do through us are limitless. But tonight I want to show you this simple statement. And I want you to write it down. And I don't have it on the board behind me just for the sake of my fingers got tired making slides. You should appreciate what you have before it becomes what you had. Don't miss that tonight. You should appreciate what you have before it becomes what you had. And tonight I believe with all of my heart, as I've said many times, this is a wonderful church. I believe it is a church that God is blessing more than almost any church that I've ever seen. But I don't believe that it happened just by accident. I don't believe that it will continue to happen just by accident. I don't believe that if we just take our hands off the wheel and coast into the harbor that the church tomorrow will look like it does today. I believe we're in a spiritual battle, the Bible says, and we're in spiritual warfare. And you think that if we can play neutral long enough, no one loses. But in the battles that we are fighting, there are winners and there are losers. The souls of men, women, boys, and girls are at stake. And my challenge to you tonight, church, is will you fight? Now, I know we have a business meeting tonight, and that's probably not the best line to open with before that. <laughs> but that is not the context of the sermon. And if someone quotes that in the business meeting, I'm throwing my clock at you because somebody turned this five minutes fast up here. So I've been wondering why my sermons have been going long. Tricky, tricky people. But anyway, uh, that's not what I mean. But tonight I challenge you, are you willing to fight for your home to be the home that God has called it to be? Are you willing to fight tonight for your marriage, for it to be the marriage that God wants it to be? Are you willing to say, I don't care what pressures or influence the world puts on my children, I will not give up with them. Are you willing to say, I'm willing to sacrifice and serve and fight that this church stays to be the church that God wants it to be? It's your decision tonight. It's my decision as a member of this church. It's my family's decision as members of this church. And so tonight, if you would stand with me as we pray, and then we'll jump right into the text. Father, I thank you so very, very much for your word. Lord, I thank you for your many, many blessings and all that you're doing. And Lord, tonight I, I pray that my words would be encouraging, they would be challenging, and they would not be harsh or critical. So Father, tonight, if, if that is my heart or 
if that's how it comes out, I pray that you would forgive me and stop me now, Lord, from saying anything that would be portrayed that way. Lord, I love this church and this church family, and I am thankful for the way they love us. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that we would be the church that you want us to be. Lord, we cannot control anyone else or anything else, but just our response to you. And so, Lord, give us the unction from on high. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to show you tonight from these texts is we start in verse 33. And last week we finished up with the unpardonable sin and what the Bible speaks about there. And this is continuing this discourse between Jesus and the religious leaders. And so if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you will, we will all give an account for the overflow of our heart. We will all give an account for the overflow of our heart. This afternoon, my youngest child, who is one, was carrying a McDonald's cup with soda by the lid like this. And all I kept saying was, please do not spill that on the carpet. It's one thing if it's water, right? It's not a big deal because it dries, but soda or juice in the lobby is noticeable, right? You can't put a chair in the middle of the lobby to cover a stain. You might be able to do that home, but you would notice next Sunday the overflow of that cup from the spilling out of it, from her running and dropping it, would have been a big deal. And the Bible says we will all give an account for the overflow of our heart. And so look what it says here in verses 33 through 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I think this has two meanings to it tonight. One, I do believe that we will give an account for every idle word. And you say, well, pastor, why is it that we will not, some places the Bible says we will be judged by our deeds and by our works, but yet here it says you'll be judged by your words. And I believe this is the reason. In Romans, the 10th chapter, it tells us what it takes to be saved. It doesn't say it is your works that saves you. It doesn't say that it is your works that condemns you. We just got done talking about the unpardonable sin. And I explained to you that I feel that is when you reject the Holy Spirit, you need to deny the conviction of the Spirit of God, and you speak that it's not of God, and you die lost. But listen to what Romans, the 10th chapter says, starting in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth. And in your heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your. The Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, friends, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth, you will be saved. You will have the Spirit of God in you. Yes, there's going to be things that come out of your mouth that shouldn't, but the heart that God has put in you is different. And yes, your speech should be different. Yes, your life should be different. But what is all important is the confession of faith. That is what happens when you repent of your sins, you turn from your sins, and you confess that Jesus Christ is not only Savior of your life, but the Lord of your life. He alone is the one that can save me, forgive me, bring me into the family of God. My confession of faith is what we call it. It's not just a day or an hour that we write down. It's not something I've heard people say, well, I just, I just evolved into a Christian. You don't evolve into a Christian. I've heard some people say, I just generally awoke to the idea of being a Christian. Look up here. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You have to have a point in your life when you realize, I am lost. I am on my way to hell. I am a sinner. I am a rebel. I am at war against God. That's who I am. But yet there is a Savior who loved me so much that He willingly came and bled and died on a cross for my sins. Not just my mama's sins. Not just my daddy's sins. Not just my grandparents' sin. But my sin. My sin. And He died for me. And He arose from the grave. And today I am here under the convicting power of the Spirit of God. And I am here today to admit my sin and confess before God as my witness that He is the Lord and Savior of my life. He is the one that has covered me from my sin. And there is no other way to be saved. That's it. You say, Jake, I believe in a, a waterway or I believe in a catechism way or I believe in a sacrament way. Look up here. This is the only way. And today we have to be a church that does not waver. That does not compromise. For we will give an account for the overflow of our heart. Second thing I want to show you tonight, if you will. We will all give an account for the opportunities that we receive. Now see, you have to read the Bible in context. And so we are continuing on with this theme. Then some of the scribes in verse 38 and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, the Bible never calls it a whale, by the way, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than he is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. And so if Jesus has been talking about the unpardonable sin, the confession of faith, he is now talking about the great privilege and those who are given a greater opportunity and a greater knowledge of the truth. He specifically says here two examples. He talks about Jonah and he is saying that one greater than Jonah is here. And when Jonah preached, they repented. And you can read about that in Jonah 3 and we're going to in just a moment. And then he says there was one that was so wise so wise, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived outside of Jesus. When he was alive, there was a pagan queen who came and wanted to know about the God of Solomon and the wisdom that he has. This is significant for two reasons. One, because one was a prophet and one was a priest or one was a king. And Jesus is not only the spokesman of the Father, he is the one prophetically called upon that is coming. But he is also what? The king of kings. And so tonight I want you to know something. The greater the opportunities that you have to respond to Jesus. The greater opportunities and access you have to the gospel. The greater your judgment will be. Look what it says there. He says a greater one is here than both of these. But yet both of these pagans responded but yet you who have the Old Testament Scriptures, who have had every prophet sent to you, who have had every opportunity, who have had prophets rise up in the morning and evening, he says, yet you have missed the fact that I am here. Listen to how the revival of Jonah's day turned out in Jonah the third chapter, verses 5-10. through 10. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. Just an idea that revival doesn't have to start in the highest political office in the land. And he arose from this throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger, so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, and that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. You see, Jesus is not only trying to show them the seriousness of a missed opportunity, He's trying to show them that this Jewish heritage that they're all trusting in, this Jewish lineage that is the most important thing to them as the people of God, they have missed it to the pagans, 
to the Gentiles, to the infidels. These people get it, but yet here they are missing the opportunity to respond. And friends, I say this tonight, if you've noticed the first two points, we will all give an account, not only for the overflow of our heart. We will not only all give an account for the opportunities that we receive, but I want to show you the third point. I've got four tonight. I only had two this morning. Four tonight, it averages out to three. I think, yeah, okay. But the third point is, we will all grow colder the longer we reject Him. We will all grow colder the longer we reject Him. You say, not me, preacher. I'm going to say no to Jesus till my deathbed and then I'll get saved. I'm going to say no and no and no. But I want you to read verses 43 through 45. A very difficult passage, but I think fits with the context of the verses around it. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man... He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation." Now, I have heard lots of sermons on this being about demons and evil spirits. But if you just take these two verses out of this whole chapter and make it about that, you have twisted the meaning of the entire chapter. Right? Jesus is not saying that Israel was an evil spirit. It wasn't saying that Israel was being ran by an evil spirit. I believe the proper interpretation is every time you and I have an opportunity to respond to God, And we say no, we just get a little more darker. We just get a little more colder. We just get a little more harder in our hearts. And the more times this happens, and the more times this happens, the harder and harder our hearts grow. That's why it is so amazing for me to watch a child when they're old enough to to begin to understand their sin and to understand the love that Jesus has for them. Just the joy and the tenderness and the desire to want to be saved. And I understand the dangers of forcing children into a decision too early. I I get that. I understand it. And I don't want to do that. Trust me. But friends, there is just something about that. But you know what? There's something that's just like that when an adult falls under conviction. Not before they fall under conviction because adults are jerks, right? Amen. And you don't have to amen. I'll amen myself, all right? I'm about tired of this quietness, but anyway, but I'm telling you what, when the Spirit of God begins to work, and I mean really works, the hardest of sinners will weep like a baby. Oh, that person that would cuss and swear and mark and mark and mock Christians all begins to have a desire to, to love people and to love God. And it just it's unbelievable. But friends, you watch that person sit in sermon after sermon after sermon and sermon. And I can see, I've seen it up here looking at you. And I know I've said this a lot, but you guys don't get it. If you see me, I can what? See you. And so when I preach and you go like this, I know it. I know some of my jokes aren't good, but hey, 
it's all right. You can hide it or not. It don't bother me at all. I'm going to keep doing what I do, all right? But I have seen it and seen it and seen it. I've seen people who used to come sometimes and I'd see the preaching get hard and the Spirit of God would be at work and they'd just get angrier and angrier. And then they'd become to come less and less and less. You know, they used to come with their spouse because it didn't really bother them. It was just an hour. But I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God begins to convict you, friends, there is no middle ground. You either run from Him and reject Him or you begin to give your heart and life to Him. There are no middle grounds in this battle between the Lord and saving people and changing lives. But I want you to hear what Matthew, the 13th chapter says. And Jesus was going to talk about this and we're going to look at it here in a couple weeks. But he quotes this Isaiah prophecy from Matthew, the 13th chapter, verses 14 and 15, from quoting from the book of Isaiah. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have what? Grown dull. Growing something takes time, right? Some of you have been growing your front porch a long time. Some of you, like me, it has become a wraparound porch. It doesn't happen overnight, right? Some of you have been, my wife has become a butterfly crazy person. She loves butterflies, monarchs especially. There's a section of our yard that is growing every single year for butterflies, We've got cages for chrysalids to grow in. We've got, we've got to bring them inside when it rains and storms so they don't die. We've got a board in our wall that talks about how many male and female butterflies have been released. I didn't even know there was a difference. I mean, I figured there was. But how do you find out the difference between a male butterfly and a woman butterfly? Ask her. I'm not going to explain it up here. But she has loved it and she has worked it and these things grow... <laughs> but it's growing. And it's this idea that this heart has grown dull and a little more dull and a little more dull over time. And don't miss this as we go on in this verse. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. Did you hear that? They have closed their eyes. They have hardened their hearts. They have allowed their hearts to grow dull. But listen to those last one, two, three, four, five, six words. So that I should heal them. Think about that. God would have healed them. God would have worked. God would have moved. We will all give an account for the opportunities that we have received. And fourth and finally tonight as we run to the finish. We will all. We will all need to be a part of God's family. To inherit eternal life. We will all need to be a part of God's family. 
to inherit eternal life. Listen to what it says in verses 46 through 50. Because remember, when the scriptures were written, those headings in your Bible were not there. It was a manuscript written in the uh, uh, original language that flowed together. And, and it was written in the same mindset, in the same heart. And so, yes, there are divisions in books of the Bible, but be very careful not to put them where they're not. And so starting in verse 46, it says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There are two things that I want to clear, clarify tonight that I have heard liberal, infidel preachers say. One, that see, Jesus didn't obey His mother and father. This is not true. Jesus in no way was being disrespectful to His mother. That would have been a sin. It is a sin to not honor thy father and mother. It doesn't matter what you think about your mother and father. It don't matter how bad they are. You cannot dishonor your father and mother and be right with God. Conviction is going to happen. And so he was not talking bad about them. And two, one that I have just recently heard, and I almost vomited in my mouth, was that Jesus didn't care about genders because mothers and brothers are all interchangeable. That is not a sermon on genders. What he is talking about here is your earthly family is not enough to get you to heaven. My kids, and I've said this a lot of times while I've been your pastor, I love them. They can drive me nuts when they won't stand up and sing during the song service. And if you sit there biased, you might see me flick them from time to time. I'm just going to give you a heads up. But just because I want them to go to heaven, it's not enough to get them there. Just because I preach a thousand sermons in my life, it's not enough to get them there. Just because I drag them to every church function we have, it's not enough to get them there. They have to become a part of the family of God. And there is only one way for that to happen. And listen to what John, the third chapter, verse 3 says. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus was saying, these disciples of mine, they have decided to follow me, to forsake all. And if you remember when the multitudes were fleeing from him in Capernaum, he asked them, why don't you leave? And they said, where else would we go? You are the hope. You are the bread of life. You are salvation. And friends, tonight, I want you to love your families. I want you to forgive them even if they are completely nuts. But tonight, remember this. Your family's not enough to get you to heaven. And the moment you make it about what my family wants of me, because I've heard that from people. 
well, preacher, I'd get saved, but I wasn't raised Baptist, and I wasn't raised Protestant, or I wasn't raised this way, or I know this is what God wants for my life, but I don't want to offend these people. Look up here. You have said exactly what Jesus said, but in the opposite. These are my salvation. This is where my hope is built. And friends, you have to trust Jesus and respond to Jesus and the free gift of salvation even if you stand alone. Because friends, I want my family to go to heaven. I'm not where the Apostle Paul is to say I'd give up my salvation for you. I'm not there. I hope to someday be there. I would say it and not mean it since I know I can't give up my salvation, but that'd be a lie. But friends, I want to go to heaven someday. And there's only one way for that to happen. You must be born again. And so tonight I want you to know that I included all in every single one of those points. Because no one is immune. No one can say, well, you know, I don't have to make a confession of faith. It's, it's just a private matter between me and God. And, and never, no one will ever know. And it's not important. It is important. Your confession of faith matters. You shouldn't get up to a funeral and have to wonder where your loved one is. You say, Jake, well, I know where I'm going. I'm worried about the people in my family. Talk to them. Talk to them about their faith. Talk to them about your faith. Maybe you need to apologize. Maybe you need to reconcile to build that bridge. You say, well, Jake, I, I've been given so many opportunities and, 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 and what should I do with that? Well, then you need to make sure that the people that live in your house have the same opportunities to the gospel that you have. I don't know how many times I've heard someone say, I was so blessed with parents. They took me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now, I didn't think that when I was about 19, but now that I'm an adult, I'm really appreciative of that. I'm like, well, how often do you go to church? Well, we don't go very often. I want you to look up here and listen to that. I'm thankful for the access to the gospel that I was given. But I'm going to hinder the access that my children have to the gospel. Friends, that's taking the opportunities that God has given you and trampling them. Tonight I want to warn us, church. If you're saved tonight, your salvation is secure. I believe that. But your heart can grow cold. You can quench the Spirit of God and His work in your life. And tonight, if you've been holding on to sin, if you've been just going through the motions, you might not think you're growing colder, but you wait till the next time someone cuts you off in traffic and things come out of your mouth that you didn't think had come out of your mouth. And don't you think it was a moment of anger? It was because you're growing cold in your walk with the Lord. Those things that not used to get on your nerves, not used to drive you nuts, and you blame it on getting old, it might just be you're growing cold. Now, I understand you all get a little grouchy when you get old. Your nerves get shot. I understand that. I'm not calling you old. I don't know how old that is. You're not 100 yet. But you might just be growing cold. You say, preacher, that's a bold statement, but it's true. And fourth and finally tonight, tonight do you really know that you're a part of the family of God. I want you to be a part of Ten Miles family. I want you to be a part of our family, not by son-in-laws. Don't even think that way. I don't want any of them. I don't want the other kind either, but maybe the Lord will all take us to heaven before that happens. But friends, I want you to know, do you really know that you're saved?
Tonight, when you lay your head on the pillow and you put your hand over your heart, as Dr. Rogers said, you're one beat away from meeting Jesus. Do you really know that you're a part of the family of God? Because if you don't tonight, you can. You can come, confess your sins, and call upon His name. Tonight, maybe there's someone in your family that you're worried about. Maybe you've just not been giving the desire and passion to God that He deserves. Tonight, that can all change. But it's a choice you have to make. I can't make it for you. No one else can. Will you respond to what God wants in your life tonight? Pray with me and stand as Monty and Janice come. Father, I thank you tonight for your word as always. Lord, it's just here, verse by verse, word by word. And I pray, Lord, that it is speaking through the power of your Holy Spirit to our hearts and lives. Father, again, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would challenge this church to do more, to go more, to pray more, to serve more. Lord, whatever it takes to be the church that you want us to be. Father, help us to forgive. Help us to ask for forgiveness. Lord, whatever is necessary tonight, let that be the case. Father, I pray tonight that if I've said anything or done anything with any other intent than to honor you and love this sweet group of people, Lord, that you'd forgive me. Lord, I pray tonight that conviction would fall in this place, Lord, like it's never fallen before. Lord, that your spirit would work and move with a sense of urgency tonight, Lord, that only you know when that day and hour is coming, when it'll be too late. So, Father, I pray that you'd save tonight. I pray that you'd renew convictions and, and determination to serve you. Lord, I pray that you'd move in the will of what you want for people. And, Lord, that you would just be glorified in all that is said and done in this place and that has been done. And so, Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.